Well, welcome to Logos. Welcome to Logos. What a joy it is that we have. And I, and I hope you don't take this for granted. Well, the reality is we all take worship for granted from time to time. But let me just encourage you not to take this moment for granted that we have together. God calls his people to gather faithfully, uh, to exalt Jesus, to remind ourselves of who Jesus is and what he calls us to in this life. So thank you so much for coming to be a part of Logos worship. If you're a guest with us today, we couldn't be more thrilled that you chose to be with us. We think it's a big deal. And so my name is Pastor Danny, and I would love for you to introduce your name to us by filling out this card. It says connect here. It should be in the just right in front of you. So if you would just honor us uh, by filling this out, and later on in our worship time, a little brown plate's going to come your way. I think it's brown. Um, and we, all we ask is that you put that in there. So thank you so much for joining us in worship today. We're glad you're here, and we hope you feel like an honored guest today, and we want to begin a relationship with you. So we, we are in 2 Samuel chapter 12. We have been in a journey through 2 Samuel. Last week, we were in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and we were in a very, very familiar very familiar story. We were witness to David's horrific and life-altering sin, primarily against God. We know that David will say, against you alone have I sinned, but primarily against God. He despised and scorned the word of the Lord. He sinned against Uriah. He had Uriah killed in an effort to cover up his sin. He sinned against Bathsheba, assaulted her, robbed her, and sent her away. He was a sinful, broken man to the nth degree. This is not some romantic story that we can often romanticize. This is an ugly display of the reality of sin in a man's life. We were reminded that we identify with David. That we too are a broken people. That we are a sinful people. And not just sin in particular, but even in our own sexual brokenness. We have been led astray and caught up in temptation. And not just you as an individual, but as a city, as a nation, as a world. We have been held captive by our sinful brokenness, our sexual brokenness. I invited you to weep over that reality. I invited you to weep, just look at our nation and weep. In the same way that Isaiah 6 was caught up and he beheld the holiness of God in that vision, he fell on his face and he says, woe is me, a man of unclean lips and a man of unclean people. Isaiah recognized it wasn't just his sin alone, but the sin of his nation. And he wept and confessed that sin. And we too are to weep, confess and repent of our own brokenness. In that same story, the Lord intervenes in Isaiah. And so what I want us to do this morning is to walk through 2 Samuel 12 as God also intervenes and steps in the first time since the beginning of this horrible display of brokenness and sin in David's life. Finally, God speaks 
into David's life, which is an act of grace, by the way. God didn't have to say a word. He could have left David in his complete depravity to go his own way, but he didn't. That's grace. And so here we are, 2 Samuel 12. 2 Samuel 12, 1 says this, And the Lord sent Nathan. The Lord sent Nathan. Nathan becomes the voice of the Lord. We know Nathan is a prophet. This isn't the first time that we've encountered Nathan. He is the very words of God when he has been anointed and filled with the Spirit of God to speak those words and called to do it. In this case, he has been sent to speak these words of God to David. In some sense, David kind of uh, Nathan kind of plays the part of the Holy Spirit, convicting and leading David to a place of conviction of sin. We know that he tells a story about a rich man and a poor man. The rich man having an innumerable amount of sheep in his field. And he has a guest come visit him on his ranch. And rather than taking one of his own lambs as an offering for a meal for this visitor, he looks to his neighbor who is a poor man who has one lone little lamb, his prized possession. And he says, I want that lamb. And he takes that lamb and he slaughters that lamb to have a feast for his guest in his home. The story tells us that David was livid. Livid. How could such a man who had all of this to himself, who had been blessed by God, take advantage of this poor man who had just but one lamb? That man should surely die. David was beside himself. What does Nathan say? You are that man. And so God used Nathan, the voice of the Lord, to speak into David's life. And in the moment, conviction set in when, we, when he heard the word of God. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord. We don't know all the emotional weight that that carried, what that exact moment was like. That it had to be pretty intense. When the veil of his own depravity and sin was lifted, when the darkness dissipated and the light came in and he saw himself for who he was and he said, I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. It was grace that God spoke to his life. Before we move any further into the chapter, I just want to identify a process here that's very important for us very quickly. I think it's important for us to remember that God sent a man, a prophet, to speak the word of God into David's life. A man speaking the word of God. It was the word of God through Nathan that led to David's confession and repentance. Let's not take that for granted. Paul writes in Romans 8, 13, by the spirit put to death the deeds of the flesh. Jesus says in John 14, the Spirit of God will guide us into all truth. I believe the Spirit of God, the voice of the Lord, uses the written word of God in the believer's life. Lord, may I hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I believe the Spirit of God, who reveals all truth to us, who is in us as a deposit of our inheritance, reminds us of the truths of God, red flags as we approach temptation, 
reminds us, slow down, look another way, avoid this temptation, putting to death those deeds of the flesh by the power of the Spirit. I believe that's how the Spirit of God works in us. I believe also the Spirit of God uses Christian community to help us see, confess, repent, and defeat temptation. That's why in Matthew 18, he says, where two or more are gathered, there I am among you. Listen, Matthew 18, that passage is about accountability, where two or three gather around our brother and sister and say, you have sinned and you need to repent. And Jesus is saying, listen, I will use the community of God to draw my people to a place of repentance. It's why Paul says, confess sins to one another, bear each other's burdens. Ephesians 4 reminds us that the church is, builds itself up in love as it's connected to one another in its various parts, Christian community. I don't think it's happenstance. It's never happenstance for God. But that he chose to send a man, Nathan, who is tangible, who could touch David, and could speak the word of God to him, that might lead him to repentance. The enemy will do everything he can. Listen to me. The enemy will do everything he can to keep your heart and your eyes and your life out of the word of God. And he will do everything to disconnect you from the community and the body of Christ. Is it any wonder that we feel disconnected from one another? And our schedules are filled from 5 a.m. to whenever. I think, I think that is a wise strategy. If I could just keep them disconnected. If I could just keep them and rationalize that they don't have to spend time in the word of God. Or their just schedules are too busy. If, God can, if, if the evil one can keep our eyes and hearts away from the word of God. And he can keep us disconnected then we are more inclined to continue in perpetual sin and rationalizing and justifying our own behavior. And as a church family, we need to do everything we can, and we aim to do everything we can to equip you. It's why we do reverse. Let's read the word of God together. Be on the same page together. It's why we urge you to be a part of a Bible study group. And we know those Bible study groups aren't perfect. But the community of God isn't perfect. We're still sinful and broken people. But the word of God champions you and commands you and compels you as a child of God, a son and daughter of God, to connect with one another. And the way that we hope to do that is through Bible study on Sunday mornings. And maybe you have a group in your home. And maybe you've taken the initiative to connect people in other places. Don't take those moments for granted. And when you meet together in those moments, speak the word of God together. Text the word of God together. If you know a brother or sister of Christ is hurting, text them, call them. And I'm just as guilty as anyone of not doing that enough as I should. The enemy will do everything he can to keep you out of God's word. The reason that David came to a place of repentance is because the father sent Nathan to speak the word to him. All right, well, those are my really two quick processing points. Now we're actually going to get to the text, if that's fine. Let's stand together. We're going to read verses 13 and 14. David said to Nathan, 
I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. You may be seated. I don't know about you, but for me, those are two of the most striking verses in all of the scriptures. Two of the most striking, rattling verses in the Bible. So let me make sure we understand this. Dave the king, who's been chosen by God and who has been blessed by God beyond what he deserves a million fold, has scorned the word of God. He has despised the word of God. In other words, he has chosen to go his own way. He has become king of his own life and his own sexuality, and he yields to his brokenness and temptation. He lusts after a friend's wife, takes what he wants. She gets pregnant. In an effort to keep his sin hidden, he has her husband Uriah murdered, and not just him, but every other soldier that was brought into the fray and who was shot by an arrow from that wall died because of David's decision to kill Uriah. More than Uriah died that day. Then has a shotgun wedding in a guise of honoring Uriah, the following fallen soldier. He marries Uriah's wife to complete the cover-up. The law of Moses demanded that David die. David said himself, that man should die. But then Nathan says, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. The connotation in the Hebrew is that God takes off this soiled and ruined cloak and casts it away. In the case of David, it is blood soaked. Just imagine with me for a moment if you're Uriah's father or mother or Bathsheba's father or mother and you're sitting in that court and you're waiting for the verdict of the judge and the judge says to David who has killed your son and assaulted your daughter, he says, God won't hold that against you. You're not going to die. The streets that day would be in an uproar and a riot because of the injustice done. Social media would be in a lightning storm and tweets uh, upon tweet would herald injustice. Something needs to be done to that judge. What's wrong with our nation? How could this happen? Shocking. Your sin is forgiven. You will not die. Forgiveness never happens in a vacuum, though. In Romans chapter 3, I'm going to read several verses to you, and I want you to pay attention to these verses. Paul writes this, Now the righteousness of God has been made known to us, manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, like Nathan Speaking the law, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what the law says, and that is now what Jesus says. And are justified by his grace as a gift. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a payment by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins, David's sexual assault and murder. It was to show his righteousness that at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What is Paul saying? In other words, forgiveness never just happens. It has to be paid for. Even the sins that have been passed over, like in 2 Samuel chapter 12. God forgave David then because Jesus paid the penalty for David's sin in the present when Jesus went to the cross. Not our present. God never said to David, you know, it's really not a big deal. You're forgiven when he rang that gavel. That's not what God said to David. David received a shocking verdict of forgiveness because Jesus paid the penalty of David's sin. And in that way, God remained just. It would have been radically unjust if if God just said, David, you're you're free to go scot-free without penalty of payment. Would have been just, unjust, but God remains just because a penalty was paid, and it was paid through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. David lives and is justified rather than dying in his tragic sin for what he had done. So not only do we see a father who lives, Regardless of his sin, he was forgiven. But we also read another shocking verse. 2 Samuel 12, 14. Nevertheless, David, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. a shocking verse. The father lives and the innocent son dies. This is when we want to shake our fists at God and say, really? An innocent son? How is that right? In fact, David could even have had that thought for a moment. But what we see in the text is that God won't let him get away with this. God will not let David get away with thinking, why why would you do this to me? Why would you take my son's life? This is what God says to him. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord. God pins the death of his son on David. David is responsible for the death of his son. 
There's nothing that seems right about that to us. But let me say this first, that the Hebrew reader would never have questioned the justice of God in that moment. It wouldn't have even crossed their mind. They would have thought of verses like, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. David would have, had, would have made the immediate connection. It's my sin that did this. Already we know that God has told David of the consequences of, of his sin. This is very different. The consequences of his sin have been violence in your house, the death of sons. Four sons will eventually die because of David's sin. And God says, you know your sexual brokenness that you uh, kept hidden? In the future in your house, it will be on full display all around you. It will not be hidden, not just in your life, but in your son's lives in the people that live in your palace. Those were the consequences of David's sin, but this is very different. The death of David's son was not just a consequence. It was a penalty. It was punishment for his sin. Why would God do that? Especially since I just told you that Jesus paid for David's sin when he went to the cross retroactively. Why would God do something like that? Perhaps God does it so that we will face the imminent reality of the cost of sin. For the wages of sin is death. Maybe that's why God chose to do this. That David would in a moment taste the immediate result of his sin. That it cost a lot. It's a reminder to David that God takes sin absolutely seriously. And it's not arbitrary. But God in his holiness hates our sin. And every sin has to be paid for. God is connecting the dots for David. Your sin, David, is grave. It kills. God meant that judgment against his son, was meant for David's purification and his righteousness. For God disciplines those whom he loves. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10 and 11 says this. He disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be sorrowful, but not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Perhaps that's what God was doing in that painful moment. That moment was painful, it was sorrowful, it was a sobering process of repentance for David. David didn't go off skipping into the sunset, but he lived with the painful reminder of the cost of his sin every day. And would for some time. The death of the son of David reminds us, though, this side of the New Testament of another son. Matthew 1.1. I don't think this is happenstance. Jesus Christ, the son of whom? David, the son of Abraham. John the Baptist heralded Jesus when he saw him. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, the son of David, 
the innocent son of David, the son of God, was sent to a lost and dying world to take away its sin. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 14, reminds us that God takes sin so seriously. And he so loved the world that he sent his son to bear the full brunt of the sin of a broken world. Jesus the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The way of grace, the way out of our brokenness, even our sexual brokenness, is always repentance and faith in the Son who died for the sins of the world. When we separate Jesus from his death, we willfully shut out his loving call to repentance, which is why the Father sent the Son to begin with. That we might know our sin and come to repentance and faith in what Christ has done on the cross. That's the way of grace. That's the way of restoration. That's the way out of brokenness. The cross is that profound and shocking whisper. Because you have despised my word, my son must die. We cannot know restoration or recreation without repentance. When we separate God's love from repentance, we are essentially saying, you know, we're without sin. God loves us just the way we are. Jesus didn't die because he loved your sin or my sin or the city's sin or the nation's sin. He died because he loved you so much to make a way out of your sin and brokenness so that the Father might say to us, I have put away your sin. You shall not die. But we live in a very different world, and even sometimes we preach this to ourselves. We want a Jesus who says, I love you just the way you are. We want a Jesus who boosts our self-esteem, strokes our consciousness, but that is not what the Jesus of the scriptures say to us. What's remarkable about God's love is that while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies, the son died. We can't even know the love of God without going through repentance. Our greatest need, like David, is to see our complete and utter sinfulness, that we have done our own thing, that we have gone our own way, that we have been king of our own sexuality, that we do what we want, that we scorn the word of the Lord, that we have despised the word of God. That's what we need to see, and that's what David need to see in that moment about himself. Until that moment, until the word of God spoke into his life, he was in the dark. It's hard to believe that, but he was in the dark. He had rationalized, justified his own sin in some macabre kind of way. But the word of God spoke into his life, and he saw himself for who he is. That is our greatest need, is that we are desperate to see ourselves for who we are by the grace of God. And in that moment, being able to know that we have a God who loved the world so much that he actually did something about it. That we have a God who says, I have sent my innocent son, my holy son, 
And my holy son will take away the sins of the world. And my innocent son will die for your sin. So that if you put your faith and trust in my son, you not only will be forgiven, but you will begin to experience restoration out of brokenness. You will become sons and daughters. You'll begin to bear fruit that looks more and more like my son and less and less like the brokenness that we carry around. If we want to have victory out of brokenness in ourselves, in our church, in our city, in the nation, we can never shake the gospel. We have to remind ourselves of who Christ is and what he's done, and we have to remind ourselves that we are broken, sinful people, and he calls us to repentance by his grace. It's then that we know the love of God and no restoration and no healing out of brokenness. God didn't have to intervene into David's life. He didn't have to call him to repentance. He didn't have to speak to him. He didn't have to forgive him. And he doesn't have to do any of those things for us, but he has. God wasn't in some desperate need to have more friends. God in his holiness loved a broken world and did something about it. Will we respond to that? either our own repentance or graciously and loving calling our friends and neighbors to the sharing of the gospel, being that Nathan to them. Will we do that? Will we do that? Will we weep and will we repent and will we go? Let's pray. Father, as shocking as the story is with David, it's no less shocking for us that you have made a way for us to know forgiveness for our sin and restoration, that you've made a way for us to be whole, to live in righteousness and faithfulness and obedience. You've made a way for that. And Lord, that doesn't shock us, but it should. Lord, help us never to move beyond the gospel. But Lord, as faithful followers of your son, we remind ourselves of the gospel. May we live in the gospel. May we declare that we are brand new. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.